Matthew 6, in our scripture reading, we're going to begin with verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than the food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. But neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, and neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is sown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who knows our needs and meets our needs. And Father, you met our greatest need through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we praise you and thank you for that. For Father, you're not only an all-powerful God and able to supply our needs, Father, but you are a loving God, a faithful God. You're also a just God who demanded a penalty of sin. The wages of sin is death. Yet, Father, you poured out your wrath, that penalty on the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, who took our place, the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. And, Father, we rest in that and rejoice in that. And today, even after the service, we remember that wonderful gift of love that you've given to us through our Savior. And so, Father, draw our hearts to him today. May you be uplifted and praised and worshiped. And may you be respected as well when we, as we approach your word and, and as, we, as we go our ways. Father, as we take the things that you've taught us today, that we might take them to heart and allow you to implant them into our lives. And so, Father, we trust you'll, you'll quiet our hearts today, prepare us to hear, direct with us the speaker and the listener, that we might together see the wonder and beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ and all the promises and directions that he's given us in your word. And Father, we pray as well for those who couldn't be with us today, that you'd be with them, watch over them, draw them to yourself as well. And Father, we pray for our ministry here in this community, that we could grow to be a light for the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would have the love of the Lord Jesus for the lost around us, that you would embolden us in our witness and, and, and send us in our willingness to serve in the love of the Lord Jesus, Father, to reach those around us. So we pray for those friends and neighbors, maybe even loved ones, who need to know the Lord Jesus Christ, who are without you and without hope in this world, that we might be willing to share with them the wonderful love of the Lord Jesus who died to rescue them, to break every chain, as we sang this morning. And Father, we pray for other churches where your word is going out today, that you might honor it as the word goes out, and that your children might submit to it, they might take it to heart, that we might shine brightly in this ever-darkening world as they seek to stand for the truth of the gospel. 
And Father, we pray for those who are serving you in, in challenging areas of persecution and opposition, Father, the persecuted church. We pray for our dear brothers and sisters that you would protect them and sustain them and uphold them, especially at this time as well. And so, Father, we thank you for those who are here today and we pray that you would be glorified as we look into your word. Be our teacher and guide now, we pray in Jesus' name. Back to Philippians chapter 4, we're just about going to wrap up this book, maybe by next week. Philippians chapter 4, as we continue our verse-by-verse -verse study, we've left off in, in verse 19. Philippians chapter 4, and we pick it up in verse 19, which says this, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. What a simple and yet wonderful promise, a dynamic promise that God has given us in his word. And many promises are like that from our Father, aren't they? They aren't complicated. God communicates to us and relates to us through his promises, and, and he's given, given us myriads of promises for us to navigate this life and to come to know him. And this is, this is such an encouraging one, isn't it? An important promise. Because in this promise, God promises to sustain us, to meet our needs. It's personal care that he extends to each one of his children which really should take the weight, off, weight of our care off our shoulders, doesn't it? When we recognize that we can cast all our cares upon him because he cares for us. And so we need to be reminded of this promise over and over again, that it's our God who promises to supply, who watches over us, who cares for us, in whom we can trust. And the wonderful thing about this verse is it starts on that personal note, doesn't it? My God shall supply. My God, it's a personal thing. It's a personal claim because of a personal relationship because we receive personal care from a personal God who personally proved his love for us when he died on the cross for our sins. He himself bore our sins on his body on the tree. He himself, God himself came to, re to rectify our problem, to rescue us from sin, hell, death, and the grave. And when he died on the cross for you and I, and when we trust him as Savior, we can know that we are under his ongoing care throughout our lives, his ongoing supplies of our needs and direction. Now this verse here in verse 19 is set in the context of giving, isn't it? It's, in the, it's, it's, it's on the heels of Paul's appreciation he's extending to the church at Philippi for the gift they had sent to him in a Roman prison, isn't it? And so <coughs> here we find this, in this verse in this context in regards to giving. It's a verse really that the first application in this, in this context is in regards to their willingness to give and God's willingness to supply for their sacrifice of giving. But one thing we need to recognize is that this promise I'll, that God will supply our needs is not a promise of a reward for giving. You know, a, a God, you give to God and he's going to give back to you above and beyond. You hear that today, but it's not a biblical concept. And I want to just turn for a moment to 2 Corinthians 9. It's been our context that we've learned about New Testament, from which we've learned New Testament giving, and just look at a couple of verses here, just to make sure we understand that. That giving isn't necessarily a wise investment strategy, as some preachers actually like to put it, that you give back to God, you give to God, he's going to give back to you tenfold. And it's not something you see in the scripture. We do see God blessing those who are willing to sacrifice for him, whatever level or area of sacrifice it is. But notice it here, in 2 Corinthians 9, in verse 6, it says, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so we find this vo vo verse on sowing and reaping 
<coughs> but what we fail to recognize is that giving in the New Testament is always set in the context of ministry. It's in the context of gospel ministry. It's investing in the work of saving souls and of winning people to Christ and building believers up in their faith, of helping the brokenhearted become healed and so on. And, and the reaping here in this verse is, is though we, sow, we may sow financially, we may sow in, in the sacrifice of our time, but the result, the reaping, is, is the reward of being involved in the ministry of the gospel. Notice going on, it says here that God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. It's kind of like Philippians 4.19, isn't it? God is able to make grace abound to you. God is going to give bountifully for your good work. That's the objective. God will give, but it's for the purpose of the good work of the gospel. It's the good work of, of serving Christ. It, as it is written, verse 9, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. And so we find that, that God gives sufficiently for the work he calls us to. That's the idea of the reward here. He's going to, verse 10, you know, may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase your fruits, the fruits of your righteousness. Notice what God is increasing is not our portfolio so that we can be independently wealthy. What God is increasing is our ability to sow fruits of righteousness. That's what he supplies bountifully. That's his reward. God liberally supplies for our investment in his work. Verse 11, it says, while you're enriched in everything for all liberality. That's why God gives to us is so that we can be liberal in our ministry, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. There is a spiritual reward. It causes thanksgiving. It encourages other saints, other people, when we're willing to sacrifice and give of our resources for God's, God's work. Verse 12, for the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. And so we have here this spiritual reward, the thanks being given to God, the recognition of God's care for the individual expressed through people. That's what we're thankful for. When, we are, when God, people minister to, to us, whether it's an investment of their time or their money or their resources, it's thanks to God that he has orchestrated in his church people that are willing to, to sacrifice and give of themselves for the work of the Lord. That brings glory to God. There is a spiritual reward that is obtained when we are willing to invest in others. And then it goes on, says, verse 13, while through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confessions. That's, the glor that's where God is glorified is because you've been obedient to the faith, the faith which sacrifices, the obedience to the confession of the gospel, and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. And by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. And so we see here, even in this context, where it mentions sowing and reaping, though we may sow in various areas of our lives, sacrificially, it, the reaping is a spiritual reward. There's nothing in the scriptures about God wanting you to, you know, be able to own a mansion on, you know, on every island in the South Pacific. God enriches us for the, so that we can liberally give of ourselves to the work of the gospel. And that's the blessing that we enter into. As you go back to Philippians 19, then, when God... In when in verse 18, or excuse me, when Paul in verse 18 mentions their acceptable sacrifice while pleasing to God and their willingness to be used of God to minister to Paul, and then promises God to supply their need isn't a reward. It's simply that promise that God is going to supply for whatever he calls us for in our ministry. And that's why here God's supply, I will supply all your need, is the backdrop to giving. It is the basis for giving. 
that God is going to supply for whatever my needs are in whatever way I give. And that answers sometimes our concerns when it comes to these type of things, whether it's time or money. We may be concerned and say, what about my needs? If God asks me to give above and beyond what I'm comfortable giving. And God says, don't sweat it. Because remember, ultimately, everything we have is from the Lord. It's the great I am, my God, who provides our needs. And for what he leads us to do, whether it's to give of our time or money. James 1.17 says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And come down, comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Or 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says this, For who makes you to differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? And what we receive isn't because we're such hard workers, because God enabled us to work, and God gave us the resources to work. And whatever the case may be, every gift Everything we have comes from the hand of God and is to be used for his glory. And so if God seems to call us <coughs> excuse me, to any kind of ministry or, or sacrifice, he's able to supply. That's, that's, that's 1 Corinthians 9. God it can enrich us for whatever he calls us to do. He'll supply for wherever he leads us. Turn with, with me for a moment back to Exodus chapter 15. Because I couldn't think about Israel in the wilderness. Israel, who's being, you know, somewhat blindly led by Moses through the hand of God to escape Egypt, Egypt out basically into a desert, into the wilderness, as it's called. And, you know, there's difference of opinions, how many people left Egypt, estimates from, all, from, all, from 30,000 all the way up to over a million. And so take your pick, whatever the case may be. It would be difficult to feed that many people when there's no, there's no McDonald's on every corner or no grocery store or even a feed mill, for that matter. There's, there's nothing. And that's what we find here in Exodus 15, verse 22. It says, So Moses brought Israel from the, from the Red Sea. Then they went into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. That's a basic need, isn't it? Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah, meaning bitter. And the people complained against Moses, saying, what are we going to drink? Notice the thing they complained. They forgot that God had just executed the ten plagues upon Egypt, buried the mightiest army of the world in the bottom of the Red Sea as they crossed on dry ground, as Israel crossed on dry ground. And they're complaining. They've forgotten. That's about my God, the my God part of that formula, who my God is. And they complained. I think that's one of the greatest sins that God mentions repeatedly in, in the scriptures is that complaining, exhibiting a lack of faith, a lack of trust, isn't it? What are we going to drink? So Moses, verse 25, cries out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And then he made a statue and an ordinance and so on. He, he tested them there. He was proving them. They, instead of resting and thinking, okay, look at how powerful our God has been getting us out of Egypt. Think it can provide me a cup of water? The one that made the Red Sea stand up? And so he tested them. In verse 27, verse 27, it says, Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. So they camped there. God provided for their needs in the midst of that barren land, so to speak. Well, then what about food? Verse chapter 16, And they journeyed from 
Elam, and all the congregation of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. And then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained again. They're complaining because they, they don't, they're, they're not comfortable. They don't like their circumstances. And the children of Israel, verse 3, said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. <clears throat> now, they made it sound like, you know, the Holiday Inn in Egypt, didn't they? Isn't that funny how we look back and think how good we had it when they were slaves, beaten, working long hours? And some reason that that looked more attractive than walking with the Lord in this new land he was bringing them to. Verse 4, the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in. It shall be twice as much as they gather daily, and so on. And so God provides for them their food, does he? Does he not? Verse 7, he says, And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against the Lord. We don't always think our complaints are against the Lord. But who's in control of our circumstances? God is. And God says he hears them. Fortunately, he's a compassionate God. And verse 8 says he's also going to give you meat to eat. So at this time, they had bread and meat. He met their needs. God supplied, whether it was the 30,000 or the over a million people that wandered into that wilderness with Moses, God supplied their needs in the most impossible of situations. really amazing we take it so we so happenstance as just so you know like whatever you know and yet no wonder they worried if they were looking around them instead of looking to their god all these people and what in the world are we going to eat how are we going to feed our kids maybe had some limited resources they took with them but eventually that ran out and god sustained them didn't he and he sustained them for 40 years how about the feeding of the 5000 and remember the 5000 was plus men plus women and children. So if you give every man a wife and a kid, that's at least 12,000, 15,000, excuse me, isn't it? Maybe more. And, and, he, and, it, and Jesus said, no problem. We'll take the five loaves and the two fish and we'll feed them and we'll then we'll collect 12 baskets of fragments afterward. See, God gives bountifully, doesn't he? He provided. Or the feeding of the 4,000 in the next chapter in Matthew 15, and do the math, that's maybe at least 12,000 or more. And this time was seven loaves and a few little fish, however many that was, and they took seven large baskets of fragments left over. See, our God is able. And that's what he was proving to Israel in the wilderness, that he is able, he will supply. It's a promise he made because we're his children. You know, both these occasions in Matthew where these are mentioned, by the way, Jesus prayed, didn't he? Even the Son of God himself. Miracle to, to, that was happened at his hand. He, he thanked his Father for the food they gave. He gave thanks. Even though it may have seemed little at the moment, he prayed and recognized. And I don't think he was afraid of praying in public either, by the way, with thousands of people around him. He gave thanks. He blessed the food, didn't he? So, from these quick lessons, we learn that God can supply. He is able. My God shall supply. He can supply us whether he, wherever he leads us, whether it's in the wilderness of, of the desert of Sinai 
whether it's sitting, listening to the master speak without any food available, my God shall. He provides for us wherever he leads. And therefore, as the backdrop for giving, going back to Philippians 4.19, we recognize that whatever God calls us to sacrifice, whatever it might be of our resources, he will provide liberally for us. He can supply. He is able. He doesn't ask us to check our calendar or balance our checkbook before he calls us. Nor does he call, ask us to serve him, by the way, out of our disposable time and disposable income. He just says, this is what I have for you. Let me take care of the rest. I can take care of your lives. I can supply your needs. Sounds a little crazy, doesn't it, in some ways? To live by faith. And it's not that God's asking us to be radical and just, you know, trying to find a, w a way to give everything away. God just wants us to be willing to trust him, to supply, because the test will always come when we want to retain control of our lives, when we want to be sure of our financial balance or our time management or whatever the case may be. But when we entrust ourselves to God, he's delighted, and he'll give liberally to supply and take care of all of our needs, does he not? Because he is able. And it does sound a little crazy. Some people would say radical today, but it is supernatural. Because we have a real Heavenly Father who really cares for us, who has given us these promises. And Ephesians 3.20 says this, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. He's able. He's able. He proved that to Israel in their redemption from Egypt. He proves it to you and I through our redemption through the cross. That he will, he's willing, and he's able to, to meet our needs because of his great love for us. Now here in Philippians chapter 4, the verse says, My God shall supply all your needs, all your needs. And so that reaches beyond just this context of giving, doesn't it? It refers to every area of life. And though the subject here is financial in this context, representing the phys physical sustenance in our lives, God's supply extends to everything, including the spiritual needs of our lives, the internal needs, the mental and emotional needs of our lives. Let's turn with me, if you will, to 2 Peter chapter 1. Back over to 2 Peter chapter 1. And we've got to remember that our loving Father, who seeks to help us navigate life, is with us every step of the way and will supply all that we need for whatever the needs might be. 2 Peter 1 verse 3 says this, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. God has given us, according to his divine power, all that pertains to life and godliness, not just our financial needs, but all that pertains to life and all that pertains to godliness, and that happens through the knowledge of him. Sounds like the same Jesus we're reading about in Philippians. Philippians 4.13, in the context of contentment, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In the context of giving, my God shall supply all your needs. And here that same God promises to supply all we need for life and godliness. And, it's, and, those, and, and those needs here are, are promised through, through the channeled to us through the promises of his word by which we've been giving exceedingly great and precious promises. And 
And the Bible here refers to the many, many promises God has given to us. Promises of wisdom and strength, of peace and of comfort, endurance and so on. You know, we sing sometimes a song, you are my all in all. And that's what this refers to. God provides all that we need for our physical life and our spiritual life because in him we find the essence of life. And the willingness and the eagerness as a father to supply for that life, to live as he intended us to live. You know, really back in Philippians, the key to finding the joy we've read about, the peace we've studied, the contentment we're taught, taught and the rest that comes in supplying in God's supply, it simply comes down to faith, doesn't it? Are we willing to trust him with our lives? He's given us these things. He's channeled them to us through his great and precious promises. When we enjoy them, we're partakers of the divine nature. That means we share in his life, and we just need to pursue him, don't we? It's through him. It's through knowing him and through trusting him that we get to know those exceeding great and precious promise he has given us. He provides for all areas of our lives. And that's where we need to look, look to him. In the depths of our heart, when, 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 when we are discouraged, when we are disheartened, when life is broken, he can heal. He supplies. He cares for every area of our lives. My God shall supply all your need. And that need, according to Philippians 4, is inexhaustible, isn't it? According to his riches in glory. Now, I don't know that you could ever inventory that warehouse, the warehouse of the riches of his glory, because it's inexhaustible. It's according to his riches in glory. So, so God here in Philippians 4 not only reminds us of his faithful care, but also how inexhaustible, according to his riches, which is again reminded that there is no, no need too great, physical or spiritual, that he cannot meet. There's no place he leads that he cannot supply. God, there is no limits with God's ability to supply and care for us. We could, whether it is forgiveness, we can never outsin his grace and his mercy and his kindness. Whether it is in service, God provides for us liberally. Whether it's in the depths of our heart, God supplies the strength we need to stand faithfully for him. He provides all our needs. You know, today we celebrate the Lord's table together after the service. And in reality, the cross work of Christ, the death and resurrection of Christ, Secured for us eternal salvation, didn't it? Jesus Christ bore our sins, took our penalty, paid our price on the cross. He bore our hell, past, present, and future, so God could extend to us forgiveness, eternal salvation, the assurance of heaven, and as well, freedom from the destructive influences and slaving control of sin in our lives. That's what we celebrate. We celebrate the Lord's Day, but we proclaim Him. And all he's done for us in, in saving us, you and rescuing us. But also we must remember that when we come to Christ as Savior, we become new creations in Christ. And we are through the cross, we celebrate that we're brought into this life in which we share. You know, that whole passage of John 15 about abiding in him. Or 1 John chapter 1, fellowshipping with him. Is, is, is a privilege that we enter into. We have Christ in us, the hope of glory. We're complete in him. We're accepted in him. We're united with him. And as Jesus prayed in John 17, we're one with him and with the Father. We share. We have that relationship which God intended in the garden to enjoy. 
And God intended with Adam and Eve to enjoy a fellowship and a communion in which he could take care of them and supply for them while they enjoyed him and worked for him and served him and throughout their lives discovered his goodness and the riches of his kindness towards them. By the way, which is what we got to look forward to if you're a believer here this morning. And it's that intimacy that we enter into as we watch our Heavenly Father support us in our journey here in this sin-broken earth. And out of his inexhaustible resources will see us step by step, day by day, through our challenges in life. Teaching us, promising, guiding, upholding, forgiving, restoring. Because he's always with us and he's always for us. That's a relationship we enter into. So that's part of our celebration as well. The life that we share. And in that life we find then a God who wants to provide for us care for us. You know, fathers can identify with that when they, in their desire to provide for their children. A faithful father is one who protects his children, provides for his children, takes care of his children, wants to counsel his children and keep them from all sorts of harm, external and internal. Sometimes that means protecting them from themselves in child training, doesn't it? And how much more our father in his love for us, as he shares his life with us, would, would provide for us. And that's this promise. This should be an assumption of the children of the king. The children of the God of this universe should, should rest in this fact that my God's going to supply all that I need in every area of life. And sometimes when we stray from the umbrella of his care, we need to return to the shadow of his wings. Reach our hand out to take his hand and trust him to take care of whether it is a physical need or a spiritual need or whatever challenge that might face us. We need to remember the promises of his word, such as Hebrews 13, which says, Let your conduct be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he himself, there it is again, he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. That's the expression of the one who shares in the life of Christ and has brought himself under a God who supply all his need according to the inexhaustible resources of his glory. In Matthew 6, in our scripture reading, we read a couple of verses that highlighted this concept. Verse 26 says, Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? That's what it means to be loved, isn't it? Loved by our Father. Are you not more value? God takes care of them. He can take care of us. Verse 30 says this in Matthew 6. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? How much more of value are you and I? And that's why we're told our responsibility is simply to seek him, just like it says here in 2 Peter. It's through the knowledge of him. As we, as we seek him, learn of him, discover him, Matthew 6.33 says this, but seek first the kingdom of God. That's our responsibility, to seek him. Draw near to our Father, and he'll draw near to us. Come to him, all you are weary and heavy laden, he will give us rest. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. There's no problem for God. Why do we worry about tomorrow, this passage tells us, when we can trust in his plan and his care. And it doesn't always go according to our plan. He's a whole lot smarter than us, isn't he? As he cares for us. And so Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply our, all your need is a verse of rest 
we've, we've studied in this, in this passage, joy and peace, contentment, and now rest. Rest in his care because he cares for us. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that through the cross, Father, we've entered into a relationship as your children. It's a simple thing, Father. And as, as our Father, you s you've given us these promises, these reassurances that you will care for us, you will provide for us, you'll supply our need. And your, and your supply is inexhaustible. Father, thank you for that. May we rest in that care. May we look to you for that supply in all areas of life, physical and spiritual. And Father, we're thankful that that was accomplished because of the cross of Christ, because we were once separated from you because of sin, but now we've been brought nigh by the blood of Christ. Because Jesus spilt his blood and died for us on the cross, we've been offered forgiveness, the assurance of eternal life. To as many as received him, to them gave he the authority to become the children of God, even to them who believe on his name. And Father, thank you for that salvation we have, for in it we enter into this wonderful, wonderful, not only eternal future, but a glorious present as we can live as your children. So thank you for the things we study today. May they be helpful to us. And as we turn to the Lord's table, as we remember him and proclaim him, may you, as you set him before us, Father, and in the great love you have for us, May our hearts be encouraged and may he be glorified in Jesus' name.